Chapter Nine of Captain Ted by Mary T. Wagaman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Nine. Humpty. Jim, Jim, and his rough reefer that he had pulled on in Ted's hallway not an hour ago, and his red muffler, his close-drawn cap, Jim. Ted stood in speechless, open-mouthed amazement for a second and then the cry that went up around him drove all other thoughts from his dazed mind. "'Stand back! Stand back!' shouted a score of excited voices. "'There's a boy hurt here. You are crushing the little fellow. Stand back!' "'It's Humpty! Hurt!' cried Phil, and the two boys sprang forward as the crowd parted, showing a piteous little figure writhing on the sidewalk, one thin bird-claw of a hand still clutching his empty basket." the contents of which were scattered hopelessly under careless feet. "'Oh, oh!' wailed Humpty, as Ted knelt down and lifted him, while Phil fiercely elbowed off the pushing crowd. "'I'm hurt! I'm hurt so bad! He knocked me down, and people stepped on me!' "'What's the matter here?' said a big policeman, forcing his way to the spot. "'I told you, Goldstein, that I couldn't have the street blocked up like this with your customers. You must make room inside, or—' "'Mr. Ryan! Mr. Ryan! This is not my affair at all,' said the hook-nosed gentleman excitedly. "'These ladies and gentlemen will bear witness it was an accident. The boy is a cripple and slipped down.' "'He didn't,' said Phil Walters indignantly. "'A big bully of a boy, twice his size, knocked him down in the push.' "'It's Humpty Blake, the little match-boy. Sure, I know him. Everyone knows Humpty,' said Ryan, bending pitifully over the little figure, supported by Captain Ted's sturdy arm." "'Are you much hurt, Humpty Man?' "'Oh, yes, yes, Mr. Ryan. I'm hurt dreadful. Somebody stepped on me, and I've lost all my matches and shoestrings and money.' "'Whist, whist. Never mind. We'll make it up to you tomorrow, lad. I'll take up a collection at headquarters myself. There's not a man in the force who won't put his hand in his pocket to set ye up in business after a fall like this. Easy now, and let me lift ye out of this push.' and tenderly lifting the pitiful little figure, Ryan carried him out of the pressing crowd, Ted and Phil still keeping close to their unlucky protege. "'It was about the meanest, scurviest trick I ever saw,' said Phil, still boiling with righteous indignation. Humpty went for the scoundrel who had just put off a two-dollar counterfeit on him. "'Ah, he had,' said Ryan, flashing into new interest. "'Faith, and you'll be even with that young spalpeen soon.' then, Humpty, if Pat Ryan can lay eyes on him. We've orders to bring in all we can find of that little game. There's a lot of murdering young villains that are being trained for the penitentiary and gallows, and I'm thinking he's one of them. Penitentiary and gallows. Ted heard the words like one in a dream. The bad money, the cruel shove, the quick, guilty flight. Oh, he had been mistaken. It could not have been Jim, he saw in that bewildering moment, in the dazzling glare of Goldstein's electric lights. Not kind-hearted, generous Jim. Stand down now, said Ryan, gently putting Humpty from his arms, as they reached a quiet corner. Let's see if you're not more frightened than hurt, my little man. But poor Humpty reeled helplessly, and would have fallen but for Ted's quick support. I, I can't, he said faintly. It, it hurts too bad to stand, Mr. Ryan. "'Then it's to the hospital ye ought to go,' was the decided reply. "'No, no,' cried the little fellow in terror. "'No, don't send me to the hospital. I won't go. They'll tie me up to straighten my back. 
Don't send me to the hospital, Mr. Ryan. I think I can walk all right. Off with you, then, said the big policeman, his decision quickened by a whistle from a neighboring cross street. Look out for him, boys. There's some murdering work up at the corner, and I'm wanted. And the sturdy guardian of the law dashed off at a run, while little Humpty sank back on a step nearby. I can't, he faltered. I feared he'd take me to the hospital. Oh, I can't even stand. But taint far to grands now. It's just around the corner. If you two could make a lady's chair and carry me like the boys do sometimes, I'll, I'll pay you when, when I get to selling matches again. Never mind the pay, Humpty. We'll take you home without that. And linking their hands into a lady's chair under the poor little match boy's puny form, Ted and Phil carried him gently to the house he pointed out, a tall, stately mansion, closed and darkened, save where in one lower window there glimmered a beacon light, showing that Graham was on the watch for a small breadwinner's return. And she was indeed. Ted felt that Humpty's terror was not surprising when the basement door flew open, showing the hard-featured, angry old woman glaring on the threshold. "'Get out of this, ye spalpeens!' she cried, mistaking the lady's chair and its bearers for an untimely bit of fun. "'Sure, and it's a nice hour of the night, Humpty Blake, for ye to be coming home monkey shining like this. I'll show ye that I have a hold on ye yet.' "'Oh, I'm hurt, Gran, I'm hurt bad,' wailed poor Humpty. "'Yes, don't scold him, Mrs. Blake,' said Phil. "'We had to bring him home like this because he can't walk. "'He has been knocked down and hurt.' "'Hurt? Is it hurt?' fairly screeched the old Gran. "'Murder, murder! Me boy! Me poor little boy!' And, amid wild prayers and lamentations from the excited old woman, Humpty was brought into the warm, tidy kitchen and laid upon the little couch that served as his bed, while Ted and Phil tried to explain matters. "'Knocked him down! Knocked the poor, crooked-backed cripple down!' cried Gran. "'Ochone, ochone! The curse of heaven will be on the villain that did it! Look! Look at the bruises of him!' continued the old woman as she took off Humpty's clothes. "'Look at the murdering bruises! It's killed entirely, he is, me poor boy!' And Gran, who, like many other sharp-tongued, quick-tempered old women, was now all hysterical grief and remorse, relapsed into woeful cries and lamentations over poor little Humpty, who lay white and exhausted on his couch, moaning with pain. "'It's the death-stroke that's on him,' wailed Gran. "'He'll be gone before the morning light.' "'Not a bit of it,' said Ted cheerily, as Humpty lifted his wide, frightened eyes. "Pooh! What's a little tumble and kick like that?' I've had worse knockouts at a football game. Haven't you, Phil? Often, answered Phil. Red, black, and blue all over, and didn't know anything for two hours. You ought to have had Burley Bill Briggs and three others on top of you, like I had last Thanksgiving game, continued Ted. I thought I'd never get my breath again. Did, did they take you to a hospital? asked Humpty faintly. No, but I was pretty well used up, and they had a doctor, answered Ted. And you ought to have one, too. Hadn't I better go for one, Mrs. Blake? Don't, don't leave me, whispered Humpty, stretching out a trembling little hand to this cheerful friend. Gran, Gran scares me sometimes. Don't leave me yet. So Phil, taking the hint, sped away for the nearest doctor, while Ted kept his place by Humpty's side, entertaining him with graphic accounts of the bloody noses and broken shins that had followed the conflicts of pubs and preps on St. Elmer's campus, 
and wisely ignoring the contrast between the sturdy young knights of diamond and gridiron and the frail crippled boy gasping beside him now then phil came back with the doctor who looked humpty over gently and carefully gave him something to quiet his nerves and put him to sleep and said he would see him again in the morning although it was twelve o'clock before ted's unexpected duties were over and he could hurry back home where mamma was sitting up in her pretty pink kimono watching for him and he told her all poor little humpty's pitiful story suppressing only the strange fancy that was now fading from his mind that the boy at goldstein's door was jim jim who had gone to the show an hour before to meet his friends jim whose rough reefer and red muffler might have a thousand duplicates it could not have been jim so entirely had the fancy vanished that when three days later jim sauntered into the office dressed again in his own flashy style ted told him the whole story of humpty's misfortune mr sharkey and mr trapp were out and though ted was still busy with his lawyers the thought of the poor little match-boy would obtrude itself upon his work twice he had written down humpty in mistake for humphrey and horace the christian names of two legal lights for the doctor was looking very grave indeed over the little humpback's case there was some sort of internal injury how great he could not as yet say only humpty's wild pleas kept him out of the hospital no one had the heart to send him there in the face of his frantic fears but a visiting nurse came to see him every day mr waters and other rich gentlemen sent grand money and everybody was very kind father brian had been to see him too and sister angela and they talked of letting him make his first communion though he was only ten years old to ted's account of all this jim listened with his hands thrust deep into his great coat pocket and a queer frightened look on his freckled face that ted was too absorbed in tumpty's troubles to see do do you mean that the little beggar is going to die he asked at last the doctor can't tell but humpty isn't a beggar jim he never begged a cent in his life he has been taking care of himself ever since he was seven years old everybody likes him and is sorry for him judge waters phil's father says he'd give a hundred dollars to find the fellow that pushed humpty down in that crowd and ryan the policeman my but he's hot and fierce he says if anything happens to humpty he'll have that boy hunted down and jailed and worse for it did did the cops see him asked jim breathlessly no but i did said ted with a nod you gasped jim it was a fellow in a reefer and a muffler just like yours continued ted do you know jim for a moment i was struck all of a heap he looked so much like you me snarled jim suddenly showing his bulldog teeth what are you giving me ted thornton what sort of a dirty trick is this you're playing what do you mean by telling lies like that hold on there said ted starting up from his desk with blazing eyes i don't take talk like that from any boy jim lane i said the boy looked like you and he did but it wasn't you i know what did you save so for then said jim his voice still shaking fiercely what did you go and start the cops with such a story for that's a nice way to serve me after after all i have done for you ted thornton getting me into a row like this and here jim's outraged feelings quite overcame him and he blubbered outright oh jim jim you don't understand said ted remorsefully i didn't go back on you i didn't tell any cop just for one minute i thought it was you and then i knew it couldn't be jim you're not the sort of a fellow to do low mean work like that 
Besides, you were on the other end of town at the show. Don't think of it any more, Jim. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Hello, what's the matter here? asked Mr. Sharkey, who had quietly entered the office. Quarreling, eh? He said, casting one of his keen, piercing looks at the excited boys. Oh, no, sir, replied Ted earnestly. Jim misunderstood. He thought I had gone back on him, had been getting him into trouble. But it's all a mistake. I am glad to hear it said Mr. Sharkey, with another keen look at Jim's face. But look out for mistakes. They are dangerous, always. Take this packet to 575 Blank Street and wait for an answer, Thornton. And as Ted hurried away to do his bidding, Mr. Sharkey shut the office door with a pressure of the hidden spring and turned sharply on Jim. Now, what's the trouble, you rascal? For there is trouble, I see. And Jim's answer was a fierce oath that would have chilled gentle Mrs. Thornton's blood. It's that dunderhead, he said in a hoarse, shaking voice. You've got to shut up his mouth, Mr. Sharkey, or he'll have the cops down on us all. For if they catch me, I'll blow, Mr. Sharkey. I tell you, I'll blow. End of chapter 9 Recording by Maria Therese